Once in a while, when I'm messing around online, I come across a post uh, like this one. It starts off with, I was today years old when? Have you guys seen those before? And if you're not familiar with a post that starts like that, it's basically someone saying, listen, everybody else probably knew this. I probably should have known this, but I just figured this out right now. Can I give you a couple of examples? Here's one, especially if you got younger kiddos. Uh, I was today years old when I found out that the sides of the juice box are for kids to hold so you don't squeeze the juice out. You could flip the tabs up and hold it like this. I did not know that when my kids were little. Does anybody know that? How many times have you just seen a kid, you know, splash themselves in the face with apple juice because squeezing the box too tight? Here's another one. This is kind of for the handy people. I was today years old when I found out screwdriver handles are designed to put a wrench on it to help you loosen tight screws. I had no idea. Who knew that one? If you knew that, you're smarter than me. I, I, I just found out. Sometimes there are good things that are hiding in plain sight. And sometimes there are benefits that are available to us that just escape our attention. They escape our notice. And I find myself asking this question, is it possible? Is it possible that maybe, just maybe, that there are benefits that there are benefits to the gospel that are available to us, but for whatever reason, it's escaped our attention, escaped our notice. I grew up in a culture that cherished God's word. I grew up in a culture that loved to share the gospel. Maybe I was a bad listener, but I always thought that, that the, the gospel was about basically just choosing to give your life to Jesus. It's about coming to know Jesus. I thought the gospel was about becoming a Christian. I didn't think the gospel was about being a Christian. Now, those are very different things. I was in my 20s. I was a young pastor. When another pastor said something to me that felt like a horse kicked me right in the brain, he said, Rick, the gospel is not the doorway. The gospel is the whole world. The gospel means good news, and it is good news for all of life. One pastor said it like this, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. The gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. The gospel is everything. Now, from that day forward, it really changed my life, and it kind of launched me on this mission to share exactly what the gospel is with as many people as I can, because I just don't think that I was the only person who was confused or missing out. I don't think I was the only person who was saying, well, I was today years old when I figured out what the gospel is. And so that's my mission. That's our church's mission, is to, to share the gospel. So I want to welcome you to our brand new series called Masterpiece, and over the next number of weeks through this summer... We are going to behold together and we're going to embrace together the truth, goodness, and beauty of Jesus and this good news that he brings to all of life for those who trust in him. And there's going to be a passage that serves as kind of a base camp passage, especially verse 10. But if you, are, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to pull it out. If you don't have one, grab one from the seat back pocket in front of you. Um, and I'd love for you to just kind of read along. I'll put all the verses on the screen later, but we're just going to read it together. If you're a digital person, you can use your phone to read it. I like to do that personally myself. But I'm going to open up a Bible. We're going to read this together. If you're still trying to figure out how the Bible is laid out, open to the second half. That's called the New Testament. 
And it goes in order like this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. If you get to Philippians or Colossians, you've gone too far. If you are looking at maps, you have gone too far. <laughs> so it's Ephesians chapter 2. I'm just going to read it. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time. All of us lived among disobedient people because we were too, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. No one can say, look at me. For we are God's handiwork. And my favorite way of translating that is, we are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What we just read was written by a man we know of as the Apostle Paul, and he wrote this to a church in a town called Ephesus and to a gathering of people, a lot like you and me, and what we just read is a mixture of good news and bad news. And some of us are so eager to get to the good news that we race over the harder statements. And then some of us might feel tripped up by the harder statements, and it makes it hard to really catch hold of the good news. So, so this is what I want us to do. If you're a note taker, write this down. Let's start off by acknowledging this. Before we can embrace the good news, we have to face the bad news. Now, this is not a yin and yang sort of deal. We're not saying that inside of every good there's bad, and inside of every bad there's a little good. It's not that. And we're not saying that bad has to exist in order for good to exist. It's not that either. We just live in a world where there's a lot of bad news, isn't there? We live in a world where there are many bad things. And into this broken, ugly world, good news has been shared. And for us to see it for what it is, and for us to treasure it for what it is, it helps if we slow down and we face down the bad news. And this is the bad news. Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. And so if we used to be living, and he says we were dead while we were living, you're a smart crowd, you know this clearly, this is a metaphor. Reading the Bible seriously is what we want to do. It means sometimes when it's supposed to be taken literally, we take it literally. Other times when it uses metaphor, we take it metaphorically. Being dead is a metaphor. And so it's up to us to figure out, well, what does that metaphor mean exactly? The question is not, what does this metaphor mean to me? That's not the question. The question is, what did that metaphor mean to biblical writers? What the author meant is what this means. And I want you to imagine the Bible like this massive, intricate, expansive tapestry, just running from one end of the stage to the other. And at the very beginning, I mean, Genesis chapter 2, there's this thread that pops up. 
and this tapestry of God's word. It's the thread of death. The biblical writers all throughout talk about it, and it's just woven in all the, all the way through, all the way to the end, to the book of Revelation. So what do biblical writers mean when they talk about death? It always means this. Death equals being cut off. It means being cut off. It means being cut off from meaning and purpose. It means being cut off from value, cut off from love, cut off from goodness, cut off from beauty, cut off from truth, cut off from the one who made us in his image. Biblically speaking, death never means cease to exist. It doesn't doesn't mean cease to exist. A constant anthem throughout Scripture is that everyone lives forever somewhere. And ultimate death is being totally cut off from the one who made us in his image. And this is the point where the gospel begins to shine and sparkle a bit for us. There's a pastor friend of mine. He says this. I want to invite you to write it down. He says, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. It's not the gospel. Who are the bad people? Let's make them better. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus came to make dead people alive. And when we sing, when we worship, sometimes I look around and I watch you guys. You can see me over there. I'm sitting there in the corner. I turn around and I'm looking. And it's not like I'm not worshiping. I'm not judging you. I'm just watching you because sometimes you encourage me. And there are times that we are singing about Jesus. And I can see that some of you guys are singing from this realization right here. And when you know what it is like to once be dead and then made alive, you can't help but celebrate it. You can't help but express it with all of who you are. Let's remember, we're not getting to the good news yet. We're going to choose to slow down and deliberately face down the bad news. There's ugly stuff, broken stuff, cruel stuff in this world. Why is that? Looking again to Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says, says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Whenever you read this right here, the way of the world, that's biblically that always means it's an approach to life, it's a way of thinking, it's a worldview, it's a way of doing things that contradicts God's design, it contradicts what God intended. So whenever you hear somebody from like church culture say that's worldly, that's their shorthand way of saying, well, that's an approach, that's a way of thinking that runs counter to God's intention, what God designed for us. And the Apostle Paul, in this passage, he really cranks up the heat. He says, we got a problem. It's, it's we, have, we have a worldview problem, but it's not just that. We have a way of thinking problem, but it's not just that. We have an approach to life problem, but it's not just that. He says, there are real evil spiritual forces at work. That's what the ruler of the kingdom of this world, uh, kingdom of the air means. It was, it was a way of expressing that it's in the atmosphere, it's in the environment that we are in. There are real evil spiritual forces at work behind every war, behind every crime, behind every hurtful thing, behind every broken promise, behind every broken, ugly thing in this world. There are real evil spiritual forces at work trying to keep us cut off from the God who loves us. This is where I probably need to break us up into at least two categories. In one category, you have people who want to follow Jesus seriously. And you can't take Jesus seriously and not acknowledge supernatural stuff. As a matter of fact, for those of us who trust the Bible, we trust in Jesus, we understand that the natural world is a product of the supernatural. How does the Bible begin? God created. 
And Jesus taught about Satan and demons. He cast out demons. We can't build our lives on Jesus. We can't follow Jesus. We can't take him seriously and not also take seriously supernatural reality. But then there are other folks. There's at least another category of people, and these people, you'll even find them in church, they, they resist believing in the supernatural. Maybe they come to church because, they, because they, they, they enjoy the people that they're around, they enjoy kind of the positive message that they get, but they resist the supernatural message, and maybe I'm describing you. And if I am describing you, I bet you are the way that you are because you want to be a reasonable person. I get that. I honor that. But could I lean on that just for a second? Could I, could I offer a counter perspective? Denying the supernatural doesn't make us more reasonable. It makes us less capable of explaining reality. It doesn't make us more reasonable to deny the supernatural. It actually robs us of our capability of describing life. There are so many things in life that we just take for granted, cannot be explained by the natural world, cannot be explained by the material world, be explained by math and science. And the more you lean into this, the more you dig into this, the more you'll see that it's true. Here are some things. If you deny the supernatural, you can no longer account for. You can no longer account for objectively true meaning and purpose for human beings. You can't account for human value. And we lose our basis for rejecting things like racism. And we absolutely ought to reject racism. You can't account for the laws of logic. You can't account for good or evil. You can, though, if you reject the supernatural, you can dismiss personal accountability to a moral authority like God. Let's let's just acknowledge that any view that says we are less accountable and less responsible, it is powerfully attractive, isn't it? But let me ask, how many areas of your life get better when you are less responsible? Are there any things that you trust more when the people involved become less accountable. Let's just do a quick survey. Who trusts government more when there's less accountability? Who trusts big business more when there's less accountability? Who trusts pastors more when there's less accountability? So we recognize nothing in our life, nothing in life gets better by being less responsible and less accountable. Why would we ever truly be attracted to that view? So what do we get in return when we acknowledge, okay, the supernatural is real. When we affirm the supernatural, well, we can account for meaning and purpose in life. We can now account for human value. We can account for the laws of logic because it requires a mind. We can account for good and evil. But what we can't do is we can't dismiss personal accountability to a moral authority like God. And there is a lot to be accountable for, isn't there? And our question probably should not be, at least not the first one. Why are there ugly things and hurtful things in this world? I think the better question is, why is there any good at all? Why is there any beauty at all? It's because God is good. And God created. And he made this world to point to himself. And he made it to point us to himself. And Jesus, who is fully God, took on fully what it means to be human. And he stepped into this world to show us that God is with us and that God wants us. And that's good news in the face of bad news. And the bad news is there are real evil spiritual forces at work. And there's sin out there. 
and there's sin in you, and there's sin in me. So that's why the Apostle Paul said this, for all of us also lived among them, them being disobedient people, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Pastor Ian, our worship pastor, who can't be here today because his wife is, you know, going to have a baby at any minute, so I guess he can have the day off. Um, <laughs> he's been, he's told me about a podcast he's been listening to. It's about just better understanding the Old Testament. And the Bible teacher on this uh, podcast said this, as a humans, we are the only creatures who can say no to our desires. I thought, that's brilliant. That's so true. We're the only creatures on this planet that can say no to our desires. So why does it feel like sometimes my desires are the boss of me? Anybody ever feel that? Now, um, even if you disagree with me on what's right and wrong and what the standards should be, how many of you would say that there are times that you on purpose intentionally do what you know is wrong? Anybody else? It's just me? All right, you see their hands up? These are the bad people. Be praying for them. <laughs> so just make sure you get your wallet with you real quick. I do that too. Man, oh my goodness. How many of us would say that we intentionally don't do what we know the right thing is? Absolutely, me too. How many of us have these stories? We could go, we could play the tape back. Of times in our life, we're like, I can handle it. It'll be no big deal. I got this controlled. I can, I can control all the consequences. Is that how it works out? And yet, we all have stuff in our life. We're like, man, I hope nobody knows. I would never say this. I would never want people to know this about me. It's because we keep falling for the same lie. I was 12 years old. Somebody told this to me, and I've never forgotten it. Doesn't mean I always remember it, but I've never forgotten it. 12 years old, someone told me, sin takes you farther than you wanted to go, keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, and costs you more than you wanted to pay. This is bad news from God to you and to me. You got a problem, and I've got a problem. Your problem is you, and my problem is me. And you can't fix your problem, and I can't fix my problem. And it goes deeper, and it is more pervasive, and it is more devastating than we ever want to talk about publicly. But if we honestly watch the news, if we honestly look around, if we honestly look within, it's undeniable. So the Apostle Paul wrote this, but because of his great love for us. Somebody needs to write a worship song and it's just called but, and we need to sing the but song every Sunday at church. <laughs> but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. You are the trophies of his grace when you trust in Jesus. Express this grace is expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, now we get to focus in on the exquisite nature of grace. And if there's anybody in here, you doubt that God sees you or you doubt that he loves you, you need good news right now. And if there's anybody in here who's bought the lie of religion, 
that you need to show that you're good enough. You need to make yourself acceptable. You need to prove it. Well, you need to be set free by good news too. Back in 2010, in Chile, there were a bunch of miners who were trapped in a mine that collapsed and they were totally cut off. And the entire world watched as rescue crews tried to save these miners for 69 days. They were trapped in this mine, cut off from the rest of the world. And what they eventually were able to do is they were able to drill the shaft down into that collapsed mine and they created this capsule and this capsule would be lowered down deep into the depths of the mine and all a miner had to do was step into that capsule and he was brought safely up to the surface, restored to life and safety. Isn't that a picture of the gospel? That Jesus stepped down, he came down into the depths of our sin and brokenness and ugly world. And that when we trust in him, we are in him and he brings us up out. He brings us to new life. He brings us to new relationship. He gives us a new status. And so every time you ever hear a pastor talk about it, every time you read in the Bible what it means to be in Christ, I want you to think about this. Salvation is outside in. It is not inside out. There's nothing we can do. Jesus came down to us and if we trust in him, we are in him and we are made safe. That's good news, right? Now, 69 days, would you get bored? What kind, of, what kind of hobby would you pick up if you were that bored? Like, I had to be crazy bored to pick up the hobby of running, but one miner did. His name is Edison Pena, and he decided that he was going to use that time to run. The dude took wire cutters and cut his work boots down to look like tennis shoes, and he started running, and he ran for miles every day. This guy used rope to create a harness, and he would pull wooden pallets as he ran through the mine. Admirable, yes. And every day he ran, for all the miles he ran, was he ever one step closer to the surface? No. Was he ever one step closer to being rescued? No. Because salvation comes from the outside in. Jesus comes and gets us. We can't make our way to him on our own. So the Apostle Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, or God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This word right here is one of my favorite words in the Greek language. This is what it sounds like, poema. It's where we get our word, poem. You are God's living work of art. When you trust in Jesus, you are made new into his masterpiece. And for whatever reason, maybe for the ladies, it's easier to access that kind of language and it's tougher for the guys to access. So guys, let me say it like this. God looks at you and he says, you are the culmination of my greatest achievement and I am proud of you. Last service, a little girl gave me this bracelet she made. And so I'm wearing this. This is her work of art gift to me. I appreciate that. Imagine if I went to your house, you invited me over for dinner, and I show up, and you had just inherited something priceless. You have this work of art, and it's in your hands. And before we sit down to dinner, and you're showing it to me. And I say, can I hold it? And you trust me? So you say, yeah, you can hold it. But you immediately notice I'm super casual with how I'm holding it. I'm way uncareful. And I scratch it and I ding it, and I chip off a couple of pieces. I think that shows two things. 
One, it shows I didn't really value that thing. But it also shows how much I do or don't value you also, right? You're God's masterpiece. You're his priceless work of art. Can we talk about how we talk to each other? How we talk about each other? How we handle each other? If we were to fast forward in the New Testament and read James, he says this, with this very same mouth you praise your Father in heaven and you say ugly things about people who are made in his image. Do I have permission to say sometimes it feels like the church is acting like the world when it comes to how we talk to and talk about each other? And in a world full of ugliness and nastiness, shouldn't we lead the way and how we handle God's artwork? Shouldn't we reject being casual? Shouldn't we reject being uncareful? And the way that we handle each other, and the way that we talk to each other, and the way that we talk about each other, because you are a priceless work of art. And I know in a room like this that there are some of you, you have no problem acknowledging that somebody else is a masterpiece, but you don't believe it about you. And so, what if someone doesn't feel like they're a masterpiece? I want you to hear these words from Pastor Tim Keller, talking about this passage, talking about this reality. This is what he had to say. He says, do you know what it means that you are God's workmanship? What is art? Art is beautiful. Art is valuable. And art is an expression of the inner being of the maker, the artist. Imagine what that means. You're beautiful, you're valuable, and you're an expression of the very inner being of the artist, the divine artist, God himself. You see, when Jesus gave himself on the cross, he didn't say, I'm going to die just so you can know that I love you. He said, I'm going to die, I'm going to bleed for your splendor. I'm going to recreate you into something beautiful. I will turn you into something splendid, magnificent. I'm the artist, you're the art. I'm the painter, you're the canvas. I'm the sculptor, you're the marble. You don't look like much there in the quarry, but I can see, oh, I can see. Jesus is an artist. And you, beloved, are his crowning achievement, his masterpiece. I want you to be encouraged today. I want to give you good news today. I want to inspire you. I want you to be comforted with the gospel today. Do you remember how the Bible begins? Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them and made them male and female. He created them. That the image of God is on you. That means you are infinitely valuable. And if we were really honest, you would probably tell me about the ways that you're busted and broken. And I would say, I'm busted and broken too. But do you know that God does not relate to you like a child who is bored with a broken toy? Hear how the work of Jesus is described by the prophet Isaiah. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we're healed. Do you know what kintsugi is? Kintsugi is the Japanese artwork of fixing broken pottery with gold. This is incredibly expensive. And as a matter of fact, kintsugi pottery 
is more valuable and more expensive than the pottery was before it was broken. You've been made new with gold. You've been made new with gold from the king of glory. Do you know who you are? Do you know how valuable he says you are? Do you know how valuable the person is sitting next to you? Pastor Kent Hughes, Bible teacher, author, about this passage, he says this, in Christ we are of untold worth. This great truth may be hard to actually take hold of as we exist in frail human bodies carried along in the rush of modern-day busyness. Some of us had things happen which make us doubt our worth, but we are his workmanship. We are his work of art, and we're in process. What does this process result in? How does this really impact and shape and reorient the lives that we lead? If the gospel really is good news for all of life, what does that look like? We read forward in Ephesians. The Apostle Paul writes this in chapter 4. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. You've been given this. Now this is what we do. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now this is where you just got to acknowledge that sometimes smart, good-hearted people get confused and they get things backwards. We get it backwards when we think, I have to work for my salvation. I have to work and earn so I can receive. But that's not the gospel. That's not good news. The good news of the gospel is this. We have been given all of this in Christ. Now that we've received it from that, we now live in a way that honors it. We don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation. Remember a few minutes ago I told you about Edison Pena, the man who ran miles down deep in the mine, and for every mile that he ran, he was never one step closer to the surface. As admirable as it was, not one step got him closer to being rescued. But after he was rescued, he was invited to run in the New York City Marathon. And he ran. And he finished the race. And don't you know, every step counted then, didn't it? Every step mattered. And that is what the Christian life is like. We have been given new life, and from that we now run. This is going to be our constant drumbeat. This is going to be our anthem throughout this series. We are good works of art created to do the art of good works. Because art works. And so over the next several weeks, together we're going to behold and embrace the truth, goodness, and beauty of Jesus. And this good life that he has given to us. And all, we're just going to unlock together all of what that means for us.